the brand needs to have a meaning and it needs to be connected to you and a cause. Snackable content from brand builders. E-commerce and growth marketing leaders. Giving you actionable insights you can apply today. Bite-sized podcast. With Daniel James. So for anybody who's been listening to Bite Size for some time, creative being the variable is a statement largely agreed upon by myself and most of my guests, whether that's a brand founder or a marketer. And let's break down what effective marketing is. It's images, videos, copy, structured in a way to drive an action. To develop a creative that drives action, you have to understand creative performance and use that as a feedback loop into your creative strategy, your media buying, your creative optimization teams. At Fly Performance, we use Motion. So Motion is a creative reporting platform that visualizes creative performance and uses really easy to understand metrics that are mapped to the consumer funnel. So from thumb stop ratio to ROAS, making it so easy to understand not just performance, but where you need to optimize. Not only that, it's a huge time saver. We estimated that since using Motion across the agency, we've saved our teams two days a week from manual data pools, allowing them to test and analyze creative far more efficiently and get winning creatives and really help drive performance. Creative is the variable. Leon, welcome to Biosized. Awesome. Great to be here. Thank you, Daniel. No, of course. Thank you for making time. So um, we've known each other for some time. Um, big fan of of what you're building at Bloom. Um, but for anyone who doesn't know you and uh, doesn't know Bloom, tell me your three-minute career story, where it started and, and, and what you're currently doing now. Yeah. So I'm Leon, um, co-founder and CEO of Bloom, which is the world's first self-guided therapy app. Um, we've started this about three years ago in New York. I'm originally from Germany. I studied in the UK for five years, moved around in Europe quite a bit, um, and then came four years ago to New York with my business partner and co-founder. His name is also Daniel. And um, we started Build Bloom in the summer of 2019 and officially on January 2020. My career has been a mix of things. I would say if I really go far, far back, when I was 12, I started writing a book and wanted to become an actor and a director. So I was really passionate about film uh, for a while. Then I studied, um, or during high school, I taught myself design and became a graphic designer and, and managed DJs, uh, built my own agency, managed DJs and, and was a booking agent for a while. Studied in the UK and then moved to, after my, my college times or university times, I moved to Berlin to start two recruitment companies or one recruitment company and then built a new one. So I was in headhunting for two and a half years. And after that, I had an idea for a company where people could pitch themselves in a 30-second video to a business. And then with that idea, I kind of got recruited back to a friend of mine who became a co-founder of a company called F6S in, in London and then joined them for a while and then started building my own companies. And my business partner and I, Daniel, we met in Barcelona seven years ago, became really good friends, moved back to Berlin, started building apps together. And then four years ago, moved to New York to start Bloom, to really, yeah, we, we, we've been a different product before, but then start Bloom in, in the summer of 2019. And since then, Bloom took off and now we have over one half million users and are loved by users around the world and and huge library and, and an amazing product and, and had some good success. Amazing. A, a true serial entrepreneur then. Lots of companies you started, zero. So you have, is it right to say you love building and thinking of new ideas? 
Yes. When I, the, the more I think about sort of my career, I, I love creating magical experiences. And I think, especially in a digital world that is, that makes this, the, the, the magical experience scalable. Yeah. I, I love building and creating products. Amazing. So, I mean, you mentioned um, the, the kind of start of Bloom an app-based business around kind of mental health and therapy. What was the, why why that? What got you excited about building in that space? My co-friend and I, we always went into personal development and improving and learning and education. And, you know, I personally grew up with a parent that was dealing with a lot of addiction and and depressive faces and I've seen dad and, and one of my best friends is a is a motivational speaker as well and and so I've seen these two spectrums very early on when I was like 18 20 and was like wow your your thoughts really create your reality that you live in right and you can decide and and, and you can retrain and, and, and change your thinking to feel better and to have a better life at the end of the day and so when we came to New York so I've done journaling my entire life. I've been to therapy um, and, and always, you know, we were passionate about that space. We started off in an educational space, but when we came to New York, we actually tried to find a therapist in New York and that turned out to be mission impossible. And when we looked a little closer, we realized, wow, a billion people are suffering from mental health problems, but there aren't enough therapists out there. And even if you could afford a therapist, most people, so, so Therapy isn't affordable for many, even if you could afford, down enough therapists out there, right? There's a massive shortage. And we started thinking about like, how can we make therapy not only more affordable and accessible, but also scalable. And at that time we came across CBT, which is cognitive behavioral therapy. And we bought a couple of workbooks. And one of the interesting things about CBT is one of the goals is to empower you to be your own therapist. And that was for us the game changer. It's like, okay, cool. And we had building by then, we were building a lot of like video, interactive video products, always mobile first. We saw mobile, the mobile platform as the next big platform to, to reach a billion people. And because like we were moving from web more and more, and that was 2017, then 2019, but like we had always been building on mobile first. And we were like, okay, cool. In therapy, you have this important emotional aspect of like building this relationship with a therapist that's also been so prescribed as or like it described as really the helpful piece about therapy. And we thought, okay, cool, if we can do this with interactive videos where you build a relationship with the guide in the video, but it's pre-recorded, we can make it much more scalable and also much cheaper. And so that's essentially what Bloom is, right? So content is written by a therapist. It's performed by a guide who's a trained actor and, and a CBT coach. And it guides you as the user through different CBT and therapy exercises and it teaches you the tools and techniques that actual therapists use in their sessions to, to basically give you those tools to do yourself, right? And we guide you through them in an interactive way so you get to practice and write down and reflect in the moment. And that was basically for us sort of this 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 birth of bloom, bringing therapy and making therapy accessible for many, many people who didn't have access to a therapist or didn't have insurance or weren't able to afford a therapy session, which were also which was also us at that point. 
And when it really took off in January 2020, when we realized we're creating this whole new category in the mental health space, it sits between meditation and mental wellness on the lower end of mental health problems and and the, the sort of like online therapy platforms and connecting with an actual therapist on a, on a more severe end. In this middle field, the, the moderate mental health problems, that's where self-guided or self-therapy really is powerful. And that's what Bloom is basically, a self-guided therapy platform very relevant as well and it, it makes me the month of mental health awareness so it's a good time to be having this this conversation things like therapy and just mental health overall why do you think it used to be such a taboo subject and i mean i i obviously support it and think it's a good thing that people are more open to kind of discussing it and i think tools like bloom where you make to your point like accessible therapy and, and mental health support practices available to the masses is is super beneficial because it, it is hard it's expensive and and maybe again people feel some kind of way about doing that going and getting a therapist but the tide has changed quite a bit over recent years in terms of it being more spoke about being more accepted which when you think about it it should have always been right think in my mind is like physical physical fitness going to the gym it's such an accepted thing but you talk about well i want to get my mind right and and people are like, oh are you like are you okay like what's what's going on here so i'm all for it but why why do you think there's been that change i think i think you mentioned something very important which is physical fitness right and i use that very often as an example i think in general two things have happened well generally there's sort of a natural progression and, and the best example is to look at physical fitness and think about like the 70s jogging wasn't a thing and, and people were stopped on the street by the police if they were running and and going you know and it's, it was it was such a weird thing to do going for a run today everyone's going on a run once a week right like gyms in the 90s were only for like crazy bodybuilders and and the Arnold Schwarzeneggers of this world today everyone has a gym membership kind of thing you know but so I think it's just this general progression and and so meditation was also 10 15 years ago was like like a still a woo woo thing today everyone meditates and and sort of like common headspace have really sort of driven that mass adoption and and for us it it was a similar thing where it's like CBT has been around since the 60s but now we're sort of like more and more open to try out these products and a lot came through also the the pandemic at the end of the day, right? Like pre-pandemic, people were still like, oh, you know, therapy didn't have such a, or mental health wasn't as important. But then during the pandemic, we all realized we, we are alone. We are worried. We are anxious. We are stressed. We, you know, we have all these like mixed feelings and we were, you know, we were, confronted with them like 24 7 because we didn't have anything to do and so that's when sort of like therapy and mental health really took off um and it was okay so that's a at the end of the day in my opinion a good thing um that the pandemic brought us it, it gave us you know it was normal to talk about feelings it was normal to talk about mental health it was almost like cool finally to talk about these things not to say positives from the pandemic but if, if there is a positive I think, you know, broader awareness around stuff like that is is definitely one of the main things um, that I've seen as well, which, you know, if it, if it takes that to do it, then collectively we'll be better moving forward when these types of conversations and, and things are more 
accepted and, and publicly spoke about and people feel more comfortable to speak about this aspect of, of their lives. Absolutely. So switching lanes a little bit from kind of, you know, the great kind of purpose of Bloom to more kind of like actually building of the brand. Because, um, you know, a lot of people that listen to Bite Size, the people who are running brands or starting brands or thinking of, or I like to ask this question, what are some common misconceptions people have when looking to start a brand and a business that, that you could maybe give some wisdom around, you know, what those, what those misconceptions are? Great question. I think the misconceptions about building a brand, I think it's like the brand needs to have a meaning and it needs to be connected to you and a cause that makes sense. Like a lot of the time when I see in apps, for, for example, like I keep hearing like, oh, I want to build an app. But the problem we're trying to solve doesn't necessarily require an app. So I often see people shifting too much into like, I want to build something versus I want to solve a problem or I want to like figure out a product that solves a problem or covers need or want uh, in the world, right? And we we did the same mistakes at the at the beginning. Like we built so many different apps and, and, and you learn over time, okay, the real good apps, they either like, they are utility or they are like a tracking app or like they give you some some insights that you wouldn't get otherwise right like where the the app actually or like the medium actually makes sense so i would sort of like urge brand builders or company builders or like founders or you know marketeers always think about like in 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 sort of that first level is like what are you trying to solve and 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 what is the actual solution for that could you prove that or could you build that also somewhere else and you don't need an app for the brand it's a little it's a little bit different i think a brand the more i learn about our brand is it wasn't as strong we're actually launching a rebrand next week funnily enough um but our new brand you know our brand gives you a certain feeling a certain emotion and i think you should really look into that what 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 is the emotion that you want to give and what is the sort of that feeling you want to give someone that interacts with your brand and um, what is sort of that i mean the, the biggest brand always obviously nike but they, they they never explain sort of their features or their products really it's just about an emotion right it's about a greatness or it's about honoring athletes and it's always about this feeling and then others like you know airbnb became all about belonging right there's like the, what's this one word Bloom is all about empowerment, for example, right? Like Bloom is here to shift the path to the people. Bloom is here to give you the tools. It's all about empowering you to do better. I, I wholeheartedly agree with what you're saying that what's the, what's the solution and kind of having that front and center. And then I think there's always a big difference. And it's not to say you can't be successful, but you started Bloom because of a personal need almost, right? Most of the brand owners and founders that I've spoken to on this podcast, the initial inspiration is because they were looking for a solution that they didn't feel existed or they wanted to do it better. Or So there's that inherent kind of like purpose behind the brand, which I think you can kind of, you know, if, if, if done smartly from a brand marketing perspective, it infiltrates through everything that you do. Versus like if I was to try and start 
I'm, I'm very, very big on, on mental health and everything. So but if I was to try and start a different company that I never had that problem, I never really needed a solution. I was just doing it because I thought I could maybe make some money or be successful. It, I would probably make the wrong decisions. I probably wouldn't know how to do that with the same level of authenticity and integrity as someone, you know, who had the problem, developed a solution and is kind of driving that forward. Yeah, I think I think um, I absolutely agree. I think at the end of the day, you you know, you you want to be true to yourself. You want to be true to your emotions, and 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 you, you know, the the better you create this awareness of like what is driving you, the better you can shift yourself into that direction and 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 build something. And I think it gets so honorable to build something that solves a problem or solves a need, no matter how big it will be become right and and you can even even a small coffee shop like if you do it full-heartedly and and with with passion and you want to make the coffee and the experience like a better experience than others and people will like realize that and feel that and and like that's what i what i've always like loved the most is like when users would come to blue and and give a five-star rating and say this has changed my life or like this is this is a magical experience you know like i'm touched i'm feeling you know i'm feeling sad i'm like i'm crying my eyes out but it helped me and and you now if you can create something like that it's like wow that's that's awesome it's pretty powerful another big thing for for brands and it's a you know i think this changes depending on the stage you're at as a business and I don't necessarily think there's a right or wrong, but um, bootstrapping versus raising capital. If you're if you're comfortable sharing your path, please do. But just what's your perception of what are the pros and cons? What would your advice be for other brand owners? Um, you know, I think different when it's potentially an app, right? There's large dev costs that go involved versus if I want to start a t-shirt company, I could go and screen print 20 for about a hundred bucks or something. So I guess maybe specifically for like the, you know, an, an app based or a, a company that requires building it before you can sell it. What path did you take and what would your advice be to people building um, around bootstrapping versus raising? I think bootstrapping versus raising depends on the outcome and there are different ways to like build a company and, and, and get additional funding. You know, you can also like take out a loan and, and build slowly. Venture funding works simply to like get super high returns, right? And and we're talking 10x, we're talking 100x. So investors are making bets on things that can like that are scalable, can 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 reach a big, big market and have good really good unit economics, right? Because at the end of the day, if you build something that has a 4X, 5X LTV to cock, you can just like throw in money and and the channels are working and you can bring this to millions of people, right? I think in general, you want to start with build it to prove it out that it works and that it makes sense. And then you bring in additional capital. Raising it, like it depends on what you're building, but I would always try, even with an, with an app, right? My co-founder and I, we we built, we it was just the two of us for a long, long time, building in our garage, basically, building in a, a home, like trying different apps until you find the app that really like gets gets some traction and gets featured. And, and then you raise, and we, we raised an angel round and kept on building and kept on improving and kept on improving the funnel and the reach. And then, at some point you raise more and over time we raised about eight and a half million now 
Um, I would always start with like build a prototype, build an MVP. You can you can these days build so many even like technological products like with no code um, and for very very little to just or even just like build a design prototype, test it with people. Like as a product designer at, at heart, I'm I'm always like product first. What even the other way around is like sell it first, right? Like make some money, see if people want to buy it and then deliver the service or then deliver the product. Yeah. Is it, and you hear that approach often, you know, I see it all the time. People saying, especially with these types of products is get it out there, get feedback and iterate. And I think the general consensus and sounds like your approach was, well, do that to the point where you've got some more conviction on what people want and that it's actually working. And that might be the right times then, okay, let's put some fuel on the fire that we've already established. I think like, who was it I heard say this? I can't remember. Did that uh, raising money is not a success, it's an obligation. Mark Cuban. It was Mark Cuban that said that, actually. And it's true. And so you, I think you want that obligation uh, when you feel or have something that can actually drive the performance to fulfill that obligation. And, and that's kind of sort of like my sense of also how the market has shifted and the narrative has shifted a little bit in the venture world, right? In the startup world, it used to be just like so cool to just like raise money and raise more money, raise more money. And now we had sort of the wake up call of like, okay, valuations are down, companies being sold, um, you know, valuations are being corrected. Like everyone's kind of waking up after this COVID bubble and it's like, oh, actually we don't do that well, you know, we need more money, et cetera. Like it's been sort of a bit of a gold rush. And but I, I so agree, like at the end of the day and be very careful with the money, like be very careful. It's not about having the biggest team. It's not about having the biggest fundraisers. It's about building a great business where people stay, the people pay for, people stay for a long time and it becomes a really good company, a really good business at the end of the day. And it's just like, a one hit wonder or something, or it's like dependent on Facebook growth or something, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. Um, what's been your philosophy to, to, to marketing? Um, obviously bringing a product, you know, from zero to the masters, like what marketing strategies have you used? What's worked? What's, what's not worked and how are you thinking about that for the future? Cause again, a rapidly changing ecosystem as with everything online these days. I think I think in general, I would say it really always depends on the product and industry you're in. So we've built a mobile app that is in a subscription, sort of like mental health industry subscription business model. During that time when we started 20, you know, 18, 19, 20, it was all about start off at Facebook, you know, Facebook, Instagram, do paid social. And then sort of like expand, and you will how you will always have some organic growth, but it's hard to scale. You want to prove of that the most get them the best channel, and that was Facebook um, and Instagram at that time, right? And then you sort of at some point expand into all the other channels. I think in today's day and age, where sort of like IDFA has completely changed everyone's business in that world, I would say start with an organic channel and prove it out before you add sort of like paid on top. Because one thing that I think a lot of people have seen is just like, okay, paid is becomes more and more expensive. What other channels are working? And an organic can also be many, many, you know, different channels and, and built in sharing, etc. The other thing I would say around marketing 
and that has helped us really early on is really figuring out positioning because at the beginning like you know at the end of the day is like the, the product can be the same but it's about the packaging and how the user understands it positions it in their lives right and so for us the big aha moment was at the beginning we were like awesome like what is bloom is this like a mental fitness app is this like a video journalist is like a journal for high performance etc and we tried all these different angles and one of the angles was like it is self-therapy it is like you can be your own therapist and and this is like you know the no bullshit therapy and this is different kind of therapy and you you know like that's what kind of like stuck on and that that's what succeeded and that was we had this chart at the very beginning was like pack went up 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 and then with this campaign and just like went down we first sort of profitable and so we were like cool this is the positioning this is the angle try try a lot of these like big angle tests at the beginning in my opinion or that that's what helped us a lot and you know is this an espresso or is this like uh, a high performance caffeine drink or you know like and then sometimes it's just like a little copy change that makes something so simple like look way better and like feel yeah so true same same advice we have for every kind of client we're working with or every brand i've ever worked with is you and it's grounded in what you were saying earlier. It's like, well, who are we? What solution do we give to the world? And then testing different ways of getting that message out and really paying attention to the feedback, the data, that, you know, what's what's working, what's not. I think that's a really obvious thing to say. I think the thing that trips a lot of people up is initially having enough conviction around enough variables to test and being willing to test and being willing to fail on things because you need enough of the things to fail so that you find the winners. And I think people have a real difficulty accepting. They just want the one thing to work. It's like that, not diminishing returns, but it's like you've got to test enough things to fail so the things that actually work rise to the top versus kind of just pushing the same idea and hoping somehow it gets better. It, it, exactly. I think you, you hit such a good point. And that's where often I see so many people standing in their own way of success. You know, you got to put the ego aside and you got to just like try so many different things and try as many as possible, as fast as possible and go into this like sprint until you find something. Um, and, and so this is Wayne Gretzky kind of like quote, like you miss 100% of the shots you don't take, you know, not to sound cheesy, but like, you got to really freaking try until you like hit one and, and, you know, win the game. You know, we do some app-based marketing at Flight Performance, but a lot of it is e-commerce. What does work? If someone is out there building an app and a subscription app, you know, again, in my experience, it's been, well, get them in for a free trial and then you do this, but it can some free trials are often relatively easy. Um, you might smile, you know, at certain levels of scale, but what have you found and how have you done a good job as you have of monetizing an app, you know, because you've got to get people in the environment to realize the benefits and, and how have you, or what's your approach to kind of keeping those people, obviously the, the quality of the product and what you're providing people, but from a marketing perspective, how have you approached those, those two things? We've done a lot of rounds of like life cycle marketing, um, in, in sort of the app world, you do a lot of rounds sort of emails and, and, and push and keep people engaged. I think one thing we've never done, and maybe I'm the, the wrong person to speak to this, but I think like the more you can create sort of a bit of a community or belonging around it, 
um, the, the 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 better. And and I think I don't know in the e-commerce world, I would I would sort of like almost you know you can also create different tiers and memberships. Like new stuff is dropping, or you know you get it first, and it becomes like this club and and idea of belonging. I mean, we always had a free trial, um, and we had we have amazing download to con- like download to paid conversion rates is absolutely crazy. I think we had twenty six percent last month. Like that's that's almost like ridiculous. But like we've been between ten and fifteen for a long, long time, and I think a lot has to do, like you said, it's it's you know what's the value prop, and like why are you going in, and 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 in that moment we're kind of giving people a lot of hope, right? Um, and so it's a, it's a bit more of an emotional buy at the end of the day. And they're like, well, yeah, I'm going to try this for a year. I'm going to try this for uh, a month and, and see how it helps. And, and, you know, people renew and stay on for a longer time. Um, in the e-commerce world, I don't have too much experience, but I guess you can get really creative. Like the only thing I would say is like, try to like understand your users as, as best as you can. And, and continuously talk to them and see how you can set yourself apart from anyone else by being a little bit more creative and pushing pushing the, the bar higher and higher and higher. Be also innovative on on price plans or membership or general prices or anything. I think you can get really creative there too. Yeah. I mean, a lot of the same principles apply, like you said, when it's like, how well are you positioning the solution, the benefits and efficacy or whatever it might be? And then, you know, traditional retention tactics, by right? How are we nurturing people? I think with with subscription apps, that's even more important, right? Because you've got to, you know, I'm 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 like this. I'll I'll download an app, I'll open it, I'll use it for a week, and I'll forget I've got it. Even if I love it, uh, you know, you people get busy when it's like buying a physical product and then you've do you see what I mean? Like and then if I buy a, a coffee subscription when that runs out, I know I need more. I think from an app perspective, the challenge is is even greater, which is why I have so much respect for businesses like yourself, because to keep people going onto their phones to open the app to make that part of their daily routine, that's a hard thing to achieve. So companies like yourself that are able to achieve that, because you're you're not just having to build a great product that provides benefit to them, you're also having to change and infiltrate their daily habits to use your app for that certain thing. That is so true. And, and I mean, my favorite quote is is always the one from F. Williams, who did Medium and was one of the co-founders on Twitter. He's always said, if you want to build a billion dollar company do something humans have always done and make it better using software and so people have always like journaled people have always kind of like you know reflected and and try to like track their mood and so you want to build on some of these like existing habits but then you want to sort of like make them easier with with software right like and we have all these we have pretty cool like morning and evening habits in the app where you can like you know, gratitude journal and you get better prompts and like you have an evening journal and you get ideas or you have a morning pep talk and things like that when it's like, yeah, sometimes, you know, you you need that. And so we're trying to do that and then kind of building on top and sort of like you, you want to make it as simple as possible. Absolutely agree. One thing I love about sort of e-commerce or like buying products is always like, what is the experience you build around it, right? Like one thing is like, how does the company or the product talk to you? And then the second thing is like, what's the experience around it? Like I'm an athletic greens fan and like the first time you get it, you get the whole box and you got the little filling and you put it in there and you're like, oh, cool. This is my new ritual, right? Like tea companies use 
do something similar and like I think I think packaging and like the experience around it is what makes it also like magical and like understanding that pretty early on and I think like also Apple you, you know you, you read like Steve Jobs biography and you hear about you know how they like optimize the like when you open a box that sound and I started to cut you off I was just gonna use the Apple example because I I just got this new Apple watch and just the unboxing experience was out of this world it's like everything just it looks amazing. It feels amazing. Like I almost didn't want to take the wires out of the beautifully packaged like um, card that they came on. But you're totally right. I think with anything, you know, even a, a utility product like Bloom, if I can call it that, right, um, or a T-shirt, like the experience that it gives you, as well as the utility or the functional aspect of having a new T-shirt. That, it's such a huge part of one building brand loyalty, but two, just like the emotional connection. And I think, you know, Apple probably don't need this, but for other brands that have physical products, like if you pay attention to that stuff, I've always said this, it's like digital word of mouth because people are going to post that on Instagram and TikTok and Twitter, even if you don't ask them to, because it's a cool experience and it just, it, it, it kind of sets the relationship of brand consumer off to a, a really positive start. That is so true. I love that digital word of mouth because it's like all of a sudden you're like, oh, look at look at the cool thing I found. Yeah. And um, yeah, awesome. I love that. Yeah. So it would be wrong of me to not talk about AI. <laughs> okay. We it, we actually have to um, at this point in any marketing discussion. And, uh, you know, it's really interesting because at Flight Story and Flight Performance, we're using AI you know, within our content teams, copywriting teams, we just actually, if, if you saw, just announced Mo Gordatz as our chief AI officer, um, ex-Google, ex-super smart guy. So, I mean, he's got some pretty scary predictions around AI, which, you know, we probably should be paying a lot more attention to, uh, but we'll avoid, we'll avoid the scary doomsday predictions. But AI, are you using it? How are you using it? What's your thoughts around its application within, you know, within... Bloom or just the overall brand and marketing ecosystem? Yeah, no, that we, we're using it in two, in two different ways. One is in the product. Um, we're actually doing a big, big shift towards that. And we've launched a couple of weeks ago our first feature, which is like an, an AI advice. So based on what you're journaling and how you're feeling, we generate some therapeutic advice um, to you or for you. And then we're also doing a lot, a, a lot more insights and analytics. So and trying to figure out, you know, how is your mindset? Um, are you worried or are you more calm? To giving you a lot more data and insights back, and that's all driven by AI. And based on that, actually, we're doing a big also positioning shift, making and and bringing sort of the integration of content as as a second piece, and say like, hey, here's your like your daily bloom where you get a lot of insights, and and then here's your Here's your content library that is then sort of connected to that, right? So we're improving, we're using AI also to do better sort of a content recommendation. On the marketing side, we're using AI in also on content marketing, but also we're now sort of building a new system to kind of like create them snippets and short videos out of our content much easier, much faster. And so um, we're using AI editing tools. Obviously, everyone's using today like Midjourney and things like that. But like, it, it's definitely it's definitely part of like our processes, our product, our ecosystem, fully fully in banner. And and what 
what future view do you share of AI? I'm going to go there. What's what's your interpretation of just how much AI will change, I guess, the world? Oh, a lot. I think I saw some stats yesterday where it's like it took six years for 50% of Americans to adopt mobile. It took th- It's going to take only three years for AI. And ChatGPT is like the fastest ever to reach a billion users in like the shortest time or something. And so I think this is, this is for sure a pivotal moment in our lives where like now AI becomes like part of our daily lives much, much more. And I think, I think we're going to see sort of a big wave of product, you know, like moving into that direction trying to build on top and then over the next couple of years we see where like it makes really the most sense and i think you know like there's sort of like minor adoptions and there's sort of big adoptions but like video editing it makes it like a lot smarter content mining these are like obvious things i think in a mental health space especially like you want that mixture right like i I don't think ai will completely replace therapy in the next coming years you still want to have that human approach because like we're trying to play it around with like like the avatar like feelings is still if like an an ai simply doesn't have feelings as yet like maybe one day we'll get there and i'm very excited about that day but you can you can merge these two quite a lot right like i think and, and that's sort of like our approach like delivering insights and much more trends and things like that and make enriching basically the, the human sessions right with reports beforehand and the insights and like you can see cognitive distortions from stuff you journal and things like that so i think that combination of the two makes a lot more sense like in the future it's exciting as well as um i i, I can see the potential negatives as well and i think it's up to probably up to all of us to well at least be very cognizant of how it's going to impact things but yeah, I, I'm excited to kind of see where it goes. Um, again, the adoption has been rapid. I mean, six months ago, no one was talking about AI from like a broad perspective, right? And it's just, I don't know, it's uh, kind of crazy and just a byproduct as well of like social media and how interconnected and how quickly information passes these days that all of a sudden my mom knows what ChatGPT is. You know, it's it's um, it's exciting and and... I guess somewhat worrying. Um, Leon, we're coming up on time and just, I feel like we could talk for hours about all this stuff. Um, Such a really interesting guy, super smart guy. Really appreciate your time today. Let's end on just what are you most excited about in terms of the future for Bloom? Where's it going to go from a product development standpoint? What, What does the future look like? Yeah, I think from a, from a developing standpoint, I'm most excited about building out more and more AI features, right? Like really driving sort of, sort of AI therapy and like make just making it more useful and, and, and more accessible as well and really combining it with content. I think you can build like really, really cool things for that and, and we have a lot on our roadmap. So I'm very, very excited about that. Continue building amazing product, making therapy more accessible, available for everyone and, and really helping a billion people improve their mental health and achieving our mission. Amazing. And what an amazing mission that is. Uh, Leon, really appreciate your time, my friends. Thank you. Thank you so much. 